Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Create Your Life series, where we help you maximize your potential and results in the area of personal development, entrepreneurship, and travel. And I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. Create your life. Create ta propre vie. Create your life. Create your life. Create la tua vita. Create your life. Don't skip your life. You better create your life. <laughs> create your life. Create la vie. Create your life. Create your life. Beautiful people, this is the Create Your Life series. I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown, and it is another amazing day, and we have another amazing guest with us here. This guest, she actually came up all the way from Brooklyn to Harlem to be in the studio with us in order to record. I have to admit that I'm very excited to have her on. We've known each other for a while, and she has this amazing energy it's so attractive, so abundant. I'll give you a little bit about her in her bio, but she's definitely going to reel us in and talk to us more about the dynamic things that she's doing. After a successful career on Wall Street and in high-tech PR, she is using her personal fashion frustration to drive change in the way fashion is made. So I would say follow her around the web at Life Lessons from a Female CEO and wear confidence those are two hashtags that she's using and you can also watch her ted talk which is clothing sizes kill the environment and your ego i'm talking about none other than miss andrea matho andrea please say hello to the create your life family brooklyn in the house hello beautiful people <laughs> brooklyn in the house all right all right, all right. <laughs> love it andrea i want to jump right in you're originally from canada originally from i'm Guy actually from guyana right. i was Born in my grandmother's house. It was old school. Okay. Raised in Toronto from the age of two, and I've been in New York for, well, let's not use real numbers. Let's right, right, right. <laughs> for a while, for a little while. For a long time. So I consider myself an Indo-Caribbean Canadian Brooklynite. Okay. That's good. Well, you know all your people in Brooklyn. I got all my peoples in Brooklyn. Right. So describe that journey of making it to the States from Canada. What brought you here? Love that is no more. It's a story that happens very often. I followed someone and it didn't quite work out and I decided to stay. And I have, like many people, especially a lot of entrepreneurs, you take a circuitous path to today. And I have all kinds of crazy skills, including working on Wall Street. I moved from banking in Canada to banking on Wall Street. And it's funny, now that I'm an entrepreneur, I look back and realize all of the stepping stones that got me to here. So for many years when I first moved to New York, I raised money for a living. I was a stockbroker. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm doing it again as an entrepreneur. Right. Okay. So you got the chops. It's amazing. I saw this commencement speech that Steve Jobs did at mm -hmm. Stanford University. And he says, looking forward, you don't know where you're going. Mm -hmm. But when you look backwards on your life, you see the steps that got you where you are today. And each of those hyphens in my identity, the Indian of Indian descent in Guyana. Mm -hmm. So the Asian part, the West Indian part, the mm -hmm. Guyanese part, the Canadian part, each and every one of those hyphens mm -hmm. makes me who I am. And it was a lesson learned because I never could have thought I'd get to here looking forward. Mm. But looking back, it all makes sense. Gotcha. 
So talk to us a bit about your experience in corporate America. You were on Wall Street, you were at IBM. You've done a lot of amazing stuff. But it's funny because you're really humble. But when you get to talking, it's like, oh, wow, you did that too? And that too? And that? <laughs> I talk to my parents sometimes. I'm like, how in the heck did I become who I am? And my mom has these stories. My dad has these stories. And I think I'm a bit of everything. Mm -hmm. I like to think of myself sort of as a disco ball. Okay. And all of those mirrors reflect different parts of me. So, mm. yeah, when I was on Wall Street in the let's use some numbers, in the 90s, okay. although I look really good for my age, you'd think I was just born then. I worked at a <laughs> lot of bucket shops, they called them. If you ever watched the movie Boiler Room, mm -hmm. I was one of a handful of women at a firm with hundreds of men on Wall Street. We were at 44 Wall Street, mm -hmm. and I learned how to hustle, how mm -hmm. to really hustle. I learned how to cold call. I am the queen of the cold call. Mm -hmm. So anyone who says that they hate it or it doesn't work anymore because nowadays it's all online or social media... No. <laughs> Are you still cold calling today? I cold call every day for myself. This is my company, and there is nothing I won't do. So while I love soft leads, picking up a phone and working that phone tree, star T, star A, to get to my person, I will do that. I will get to anybody because that's the way you succeed. And I learned those lessons day one, back in the day, on Wall Street calling. Okay. So you worked on Wall Street. Then what came next? So during the dot-com boom, I had to be smarter than the boys. Mm -hmm. And so I learned skills on how to close more often because back in that day, you didn't make a lot of money. I wasn't at one of the really respectable white shoe firms. I was at the places where people hustled. You called all day. How many calls a day would you say? 500 call calls a day. Wow. That's what was expected. How many 500. hours does that take? If you speak fast like me, it's a little faster. But they expected you to do 500 calls a day. I, however, learned to be a little bit smarter than that. Mm -hmm. So a friend of mine was in high-tech PR back in the day, and he okay. went to CES, Consumer Electronics Show, mm -hmm. in the mid-'90s and came back with a book of all of the executives that spoke. This is kind of around the time the Internet came out. I called every single speaker at CES circa 1990. I think it was 97 or 96. And I ended up developing relationships with all of these pre-IPO guys in the 90s. Mm. And I would call them, and, hi, it's Andrea. And they're like, who is this? It's Andrea, and I'd love to open a stock account with you. And they're like, I've never spoken to a woman broker before. And it was my great in. If you've never spoken to a woman before, then you've never opened with a woman. So let's open that account right now. Right. You turn every negativity into a positive. Mm -hmm. You turn every question into an opportunity. And I learned that. You eat what you kill. So I had mm -hmm. to keep closing. ABC, always be closing, as they right, say in right. sales. And I learned that the hard way. But those hard lessons become ingrained in who you are. Mm -hmm. So even to this day, I'm an entrepreneur, but I learned back then, every single person is an opportunity. I mean, it sounds incredibly opportunistic, but it's also a new person to learn and get to know. Right. And if you're really smart, when you meet someone, you get to know their business, you get to know them. And that's what I learned back then. I learned every one of my clients, what their businesses were, how they made money, how to relate to them and how to relate to what was important to them. Mm -hmm. So I had a book of business, but I knew what they all did. And even to this day, while I left Wall Street many years ago, mm -hmm. I still track some of the people I worked with, some of the clients I had. Nice. And a couple of them, you know who you are. <laughs> they have become very big players in the entrepreneur game. One of them is now a person who's at the Band of Angels. So those old relationships have come back to be beneficial. I learned how to talk to people. Mm -hmm. So how did I transition from Wall Street? It was not easy. I'm a woman of color on Wall Street. When I tell you there was a handful, it was me. I was mm. the only one at my firm. And even among the other firms, I don't know anybody else who was a woman, broker. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of sales assistants, but I was the only one that I knew. And I just didn't like it after a while. Mm -hmm. And when the bubble started to burst, 
I had so many tech clients mm -hmm. when I was on Wall Street and I learned about their business that I was able to transition to do high-tech public relations for a lot of those industries for the clients that I had had. And again, it's these little stepping stones and seeing the relationships. I ended up working for a PR firm that was TSI, and that was Brian Cohen. Those of our entrepreneurs out there, mm -hmm. Brian Cohen, he's the managing director, I believe it is, at New York Angels. Well, okay. Brian was essentially kind of my boss's boss's boss. Nice. I learned how to do PR, and I learned about Wall Street. So one of the things that I did, the best entrepreneurs do this, is you never stop learning. Absolutely. And that's what I did. I learned about the business in front of me, the businesses around me, the businesses around the people in front of me. Mm -hmm. Just keep learning. You get out of school and you think, I'm never going to crack a book again. I, right. I, I well, read. No, I didn't think that. <laughs> well, then, <laughs> honey, I was like, I am out. And I study more. I read more. I learn mm -hmm. more now than I ever did before. This is like life and death, essentially. Absolutely. Like you said, you eat what you kill. So, yeah. Andrea, you have this great career growing. You also did some work at IBM, right? So IBM was one of our clients. The agency that I worked with, the real agency side PR, we had a lot of IBM clients. In mm -hmm. fact, Brian Cohen's company, TSI, mm -hmm. they did that famous IBM and Big Blue. You remember the chess game between? Mm -hmm. That was their PR campaign met back in the day. Mm -hmm. So IBM Financial Services, Pervasive Computing. Pervasive Computing is what they called Internet of Things, essentially. This was back in the early 2000s. <laughs> and you'd never guess that I'm not 22. But I actually wrote a press release for an internet-connected refrigerator back in like 2000. So everyone nice. who thinks it's the Internet of Things now, oh no, it's been going on for a while. Right, right. So Financial Services, because I came from Wall Street, Mobile Services. Everyone knew that mobile was coming, but back then it was really hard. And I had a lot of crazy jobs. I also worked for a very short time in the network provisioning division of WorldCom. So I don't know if any of you remember that. I'm a nerds, nerds, nerd. And I wear that with pride. I worked with a bunch of engineering guys who mm -hmm. helped lay down the internet. Mm -hmm. So I worked for Metropolitan Fiber Systems. They mm -hmm. basically laid down the internet around the world. They laid the fiber that became the backbone for the internet. Mm -hmm. And I worked in the provisioning department with a bunch of the engineers. So Eight great guys. I was kind of like their mascot, but I learned everything. They would take me to every conference. So mm -hmm. I understood wave division multiplexing for those of you out there. So wherever I drop, mm -hmm. I learn everything, even mm -hmm. if it has nothing to do with what I'm doing. And that's probably the lesson that's been most valuable to me in my life. Mm -hmm. Always keep learning. So, Andrea, it sounds like your career in corporate America has been fantastic. What made you say, I'm going to jump out here and do this crazy thing of becoming an entrepreneur? And why? Yeah, I'm going to stop making money to start making more. So I'm going to lose the respectability and security of a corporate job because it didn't make me happy. After 9-11 and living in New York, mm -hmm. a lot of people took stock of what they were doing with their lives and what kind of life they wanted. And that's exactly what happened to me. I went from Wall Street to high-tech PR and then it all kind of fell apart, literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what do I want to do? And I realized I wanted to pull those skills together to help other businesses grow. I knew PR. I knew marketing. I knew sales. I knew cold call. I knew all of those things. But I wanted to see the effect of it on other people's companies. And that's mm -hmm. what I did. I was a business development consultant for many years. So I got to work with a lot of executives and see their businesses change from my effect. And I love that. And now I do that for myself. But I just want to step back for one crazy second about all the crazy jobs I've had in my life. Mark Cuban is the first one to say some of the best lessons you ever learn is door-to-door -door sales. Mm -hmm. When I was in high school one summer, I did door-to-door -door sales kind of with these coupons, sort of like Groupon, but we physically went and knocked on doors. And anybody who ever gets the chance to do that safely, it is amazing because you really learn sales. 
Mm-hmm. You learn how to look someone in the eye, how to really convince them to do something and often give them something they would have ignored otherwise. Mm-hmm. And that's all part of the skill. So just going even further back, when I was a teenager, I worked at a sporting goods store and all of the girls worked in clothing sales and I worked selling some of the equipment. I learned how to string a tennis racket. I'll tell you how crazy it is. Sometimes in a corporate meeting right now with investment bankers or business people, they'll start talking about tennis and I'll just tell them, oh, I have a USTSA stringer's license. And they'll look at me funny like, you're kidding me. I'm like, mm-hmm. yep. Because when I was 14 years old, I learned how to string a tennis racket. So Create Your Life family, Andrea <laughs> is telling you the skills that you learn along your journey are always applicable if you're looking for the right place to put them in and to assert them. Andrea, so you jump out here, you're in the game. What is life like now for you as an entrepreneur? Talk to us a little bit about it. What does your day-to-day look like? Oh, my God. No day is the same. It's craziness. But you try to find the parts that aren't crazy. So the reason that I started my own company Mm -hmm. is because here I am, this professional woman. I'm working for clients like Mm -hmm. IBM. I'm literally on Wall Street at 44 Wall. And I can't find clothing. Mm -hmm. Apparently, I'm just too short and fat and short-waisted, but cute. There literally are no clothes for me. Mm -hmm. 0.1% of luxury clothes are available to the 67% of American women who are plus. Mm. So what does that mean? means they don't exist. The clothing does not exist. And a few years ago, I went to go pitch some new clients, and I had a little extra money in my pocket back in the day. Mm -hmm. And I went to a mall with my mom, and we couldn't find anything. And it was the straw that broke the camel's back. I thought, how is it possible that I have money in my hand? I'm in a shopping mall, Mm -hmm. and none of these stores can take my money. And that was it for me. I'm like, okay, I'm a problem solver. Let's solve how this works. Let's see how clothes are made. Let's see how the industry is. And then let's change it so that I can wear clothes. Mm-hmm. and the millions of other women like me. And in mm-hmm. this journey, I found out there's millions of men who can't find clothes too. So my partner, Philip Manning, who's our CTO of the company and also my life partner, he's a really, really smart guy. Surround yourself with smarter people. Okay, nobody tell Philip this, but he's actually smarter than me. <laughs> so your company's called Lab 141. It's Lab 141. Right. So it's actually a double entendre, the name. Okay. 141 is the only way something fits you if it was made for you. It's gotcha. one unique clothing pattern mm-hmm. for every one person. Gotcha. That's you. For those of you other nerds out there, mm-hmm. it's also a reference to Philip's grandfather's company. Philip's grandfather had a patent in 1919 to slow down airplanes. You can Google it. It's patent number 1413749. Mm-hmm. Mm. So it's a little bit of an homage to the three generations of patent holders in Philip's family. Oh, wow. So it's for you because mm-hmm. it's made for you. And it's also part of our origin story. Love it. I feel like you know everybody. I had some modesty around this, but I do not anymore. Yes. I know everyone. <laughs> you know a lot of people. What are some of your keys to dynamic networking? So I go to things even when I don't think I'm going to know anyone. If I'm going to an event, so this is truly my super secrets here. If I'm not on a panel, I will throw my hand in the air and always be the first question asked. If there's a panel going on, they're like, does anybody have questions? It's always me. And all of my entrepreneur colleagues will tell you it's me. And I also have another little secret. And Mm -hmm. if any of you out there do that, I'm still going to keep doing it. So I will wear bracelets on my hand. I will throw my hand up in the air and you'll hear the jingling sound. And then I will ask the first question. 
Oh, wow. That's a pretty good strategy. I always introduce myself, mm -hmm. my name, my company, what I do. And I'll tell you this particular strategy for networking. Mm -hmm. At the end of these events, I have the audience members run over to me almost every single time. Hey, I love what you're doing. Hey, I'd love to talk to you. So allow your environment to do the work for you. I might not go to an event that has 50 people and meet everyone, but if I'm the first question, all 50 people know me. And right. that's my strategy for networking. Well, all right then. <laughs> all right, Andrea, thank you. You just taught me some things that I feel like I needed to know. You need to start wearing some bracelets. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to give you some bracelets too. I want to go back really quickly. You talked about Philip. If he's your co-founder, what is your secret to balancing work and... Uh. Personal. You are going deep here. I got to. Um, you, you knew what was coming. I, yeah, sometimes you think you can get away with it. It's tough. It's really tough to be romantically involved with your business partner. And there are a lot of investors who don't like that. Right. They will say, hey, we do not invest in couples, whether you're unmarried or whether you're married. It's just too much of a Pandora's box. And to those people, I say, this is my life. This is who I am choosing to go through this with. When you're in business, you are practically married to your partner anyway. So he's there. There are a lot of successful businesses that were husband and wife teams or couples teams, mm -hmm. Eventbrite, Cisco. Mm -hmm. So it can work. And mm -hmm. I'd like to just tell everyone, we're spending so much time together. If we weren't already together, we probably would have hooked up. So it's a strength in my case. But no matter what you say, people, investors in particular, they'll turn everything around. Ultimately, it's their decision. Are you going to accept that there are some very successful businesses that were started as couples or just say, I'm out? And that's okay. There's plenty of fish in the sea, and right. that means investor fish too. Got you. So what has been your experience on the investor circuit trying to raise money for Lab 141? Talk We're to the about cocktail, it. so we can talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> there are no cocktails in this in room. <laughs> it's a challenge. As a woman of color, Philip is my partner, but I am the primary in our business. So we're a woman minority owned business. We're going through our certification. It is tough. Some of the statistics are very distressing. You know this yourself. It's fewer than 2% of all venture capital goes to women mm -hmm. and 0.02% goes to women of color. Mm -hmm. And men of color, I mean, the numbers are still pretty disappointing. But when I was on Wall Street, I was always the exception anyway. So right. I'm just used to being the only. And so if you listen to the numbers, you wouldn't get out of bed. I just kind of listened to that and I just realized I have to be smarter and work harder than everyone else. And that's okay. Because mm -hmm. that's always what I've done. So these are the horrible stats. I'm going to throw them in the garbage and I'm just going to work harder, smarter, and longer than everyone else. My little mm -hmm. strategies for getting the question, that's mm -hmm. not a game. That's my strategy. I get those meetings. I follow up with people. I take those business cards. I call them. I know that you can automate a lot of things, mm -hmm. and I do try to automate the things that I can because I can't be everything. We have a team, but at the end of the day, it's that personal touch. Mm -hmm. It's that connection to an investor. And I also say hello to everyone. I'm going to tell you another crazy story. Many, many years ago when I mm -hmm. worked downtown and I always smile at everyone. I talk to everyone in the elevator. And there was this man who got on the elevator. And he was a very large man. Mm -hmm. He was a very large black man. I'm going to say that for a reason. Okay. So he got on. And I was like, hey, how's it going? He's like, hey, hello. And we just kind of smiled and talked in the elevator. And I said, every time I see a man with a bald head, I just want to kiss it with red lipstick. I want to leave my lips. And this man starts smiling. We're laughing. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. He goes his way. I go my way. Probably about two months later, we get on the elevator together. Mm -hmm. Actually, that day he leaned over and I'm like, I'm not wearing red lipstick. So two months later, we get on the elevator and sure enough, it's me and him and a bunch of other people. But I've got red lipstick on. He looks at me. I look at him. We smile and he leans over and I kiss the top of his head. And it's about being memorable. Right. So many people are like everyone else. They're scared to be themselves. And I've learned just trust yourself. And if you're a little out there, it's okay because it helps you be memorable. So if I go to a networking event, 
I will have people come to me months later or years later and say, you know, Andrea, I saw you at this event. And I'm like, wow, thank you. I'm sorry I don't remember you, but everyone remembers me. And that's okay because you've got to stand out in this world and in this business world. Yeah. And that's one of my secrets. Always ask a question, always smile, and follow up. If you get that card, you better be connecting. Send them an email. Connect with them on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Do not drop that ball. And always try to have that tiny connection that the person remembers you and that you remember them. Love it. How does Lab 141 work? If I wanted to get a dress made or a suit made, how do you go about doing so? Well, that's a very relevant question. We develop technology, and the technology hasn't changed from day one. And like mm -hmm. a lot of tech companies, mm -hmm. the positioning or the pivoting. I haven't pivoted, but I've repositioned the way that we solve this problem because it's really hard. Mm -hmm. What we're doing is going to change the way clothing is made forever. Mm -hmm. We are automating the process of making clothes to fit the individual. However, men shop very differently from women. Men understand like M. Taylor or proper cloth. You get measured, you buy a shirt. Women don't buy shirts. They buy brands. Oh, I love your brand X shirt. I love your brand X dress. They want that exact thing. They want that brand. They want that pattern. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very different way of selling. So if you're as a consumer would like to have something, we work with designers directly. We actually mm -hmm. don't sell direct to consumer. So we've been signing up a few prototype customers. One of our first customers has a fantastic wrap dress that has some special properties in it. Keeps mm -hmm. you cool. And we're prototyping with her. So if you wanted to buy her exact dress with mm -hmm. her exact special fabric on our website, we will have days where we do the designer's drop. Mm -hmm. So anywhere from 10 to 50 of those units mm -hmm. of that exact garment mm -hmm. will be available and made for you. And that's how we see it's going to work. So it's always new designers. At some point, it's going to be daily. I'm speaking about the future, but it'll be weekly. Every week, we're going to have one new designer with one style that we will make for you within 48 hours. We have automated the manufacturing process. So there's a lot of moving pieces that we've been able to do. And once we get out there, I am taking over the world with our hey, team. Can I have a job? <laughs> <laughs> but it's a team effort. Yeah. So there are a lot of moving pieces. And I'm telling you how it is today. And that mm -hmm. might change tomorrow. But for right now, our tech hasn't changed. Right. It's how are we going to sell it? How big is your team? So Philip and I are co-founders, but we have a direct team of Four other people. We okay. have a fashion designer stylist. We have a UX UI person. Mm -hmm. We have a sustainability person on our team. And then we have a sales expert. Mm -hmm. Then we have an extended team of advisors that we've come across. So all of this networking, the fact that I know everyone, I mean, I go to everything. People yeah, are like, you are very, I, very active on the startup circuit, the yeah. entrepreneur circuit. Women, women entrepreneurs, all kinds of circuits. I'm right. out there on the East Coast, and we're also starting to go to the West Coast. And I also work my network. Mm -hmm. If people like you, they become your evangelists, and they will tell you about things. No entrepreneur is an island. That's and this true. is the other secret. Get people to help you, to want to help you. I can't tell you how many times there are articles that friends, colleagues, someone I randomly met at a networking thing mm -hmm. will send me an article like, hey, Andrea, don't forget, you should read this. You should go to this event. Mm -hmm. There's this thing happening. So let your network work for you. What's your secret to enrolling people in wanting to help you? It's finding that moment of connection. I talk a lot, but I really listen a lot, too. Mm -hmm. It's what is that person saying? Where is it in my personal journey that mm -hmm. that person has something that we can connect on? Whether it's the fact that we like spicy food or we're both from the Caribbean or we're both mm -hmm. short. Whatever it is, there is a commonality among all people. 
And even if that commonality is a duality, that you're actually opposite, like I'm really short and you're really tall. Well, you know what? Our opposites is what makes us similar because we're both outsiders. Right. Always look for that tiny, tiny connection. And then that person likes you or remembers you. I cannot tell you how many times someone goes out of their way to help me. So that's my secret for you guys. Work that the best mm. you can. Go to a lot of events. So one of the best other pieces of advice is try not to go to more than two things a week when you're an entrepreneur in New York. It right. can be hard. It can be tough. Your time is valuable, but if you're going to go somewhere, you better make sure that you're talking to new people and making those connections. Yeah, love it. So create your life family. What Andrea is saying is build relationships, nurture the relationships, and make sure that you enroll people in your success. So what we're going to do is we're going to cut to a quick break. Also, you will get to hear a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Podcast Laundry, a podcast editing service that gives podcasters more time to be creative by handling the dirty work of editing and all of the behind-the-scenes work that podcasters hate. If you're a podcaster, check out our services and purchase a package today. Spend more time doing what you love and let Podcast Laundry do the dirty work for you. Visit podcastlaundry.com for more information. Beautiful people, this is the Create Your Life series. I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown, and we are back with Miss Andrea Madho. Andrea, earlier we were talking a bit, and you were discussing some people that you were about to raise funding with. What has your experience been in the fundraising realm? And give us some in-depth, because I know you had a couple of big companies promising you and oh, things you, like that, so yeah. talk to us. Let me tell you, you're, what you can't see is me rolling my eyes. Raising money is a racket, it is a racket. You've got to go out there and follow up and follow up and like finagle these meetings and chase people. One minute they're like, oh, my God, I want to soft circle your whole round. And they all talk in this crazy way. And you've got to learn to speak the way they speak. And you have to learn every single phrase. And then they're always doing these gotchas like I want to follow on right. And if you ever act like you don't know what they're talking about, they just cut you off. But finding that person closing them is really tough but everybody wants to have a meeting with you to see what you're doing and then they cannot make a decision and for anybody who ever says i've got this nailed i've got soft circle that means nothing until that money hits your account and even then it's three days after it's hit your account did someone believe in you everyone talks this talk about being interested but the best thing you can possibly get is a no Mm -hmm. A straight-up no saves your time. Yeah, it saves you a lot of time. We talk about this on the Create Your Life series is that the only real validation is payment. And you said earlier that the payment has to clear. <laughs> exactly. It's got to clear your account. I cannot tell you. In fact, this happened to me personally. Someone said, hey, I'm going to be paying you. Here's a copy of the check. And they sent me a text message with a picture of a check, and it never came. So mm -hmm. until that money clears your account, mm -hmm. whether it's an investor, an angel, a friend, a roommate, it's not real until it clears. Okay, so how do you stay motivated knowing that you're up against these insane statistics and that you're going after this and you're getting no's and you're getting false promises? What are your keys? That's a really deep question because it comes back to who are you and why are you doing what you're doing? Mm -hmm. You got to love it. I mean, this is my purpose in life. This is Oprah level deep. Like, I feel like I am changing the world. I feel like I'm empowering all of the other outsiders like me. Mm -hmm. I feel like I found my purpose. I love this. I live it. But I do sit on my couch sometimes and cry. That's right. also part of the truth. But you got to have a bigger truth about it all. 
if you're just doing it because you think you're going to make money or because you think it would be cool to be called an entrepreneur, get out. Get a real corporate job. Get paid because the money is not guaranteed when you're an entrepreneur. What are some things that you wish you knew before becoming an entrepreneur? That everything takes longer and costs more than you think it will. Everybody gives you advice and most of it is crap. Even people who are experts will give you advice, and it sounds good. Trust yourself. I don't think entrepreneurs trust themselves enough, and that's one thing I would do. If I went back, I was in a couple of different pitch competitions. I was in different opportunities where I was speaking in front of some very high-level investors. I've already had some really great meetings. Trust yourself. Experts don't know your business and don't know you better than you know you, so trust. I like that a lot, actually. What would you say, other than consistency, has been your keys to growing personally and professionally? I started out solving a problem for myself, Mm -hmm. and I'm every day validated by meeting men and women who say, I have the same problem. Thank you for solving it for us, too. Thanks Mm -hmm. for making us matter. Mm. The fashion industry excludes a lot of people. I mean, we just had Fashion Week here in New York, and there was all this news about older models or plus size. We're all outsiders. Mm -hmm. And so it's been really validating to hear everyone when I just say, our solution ignores all of those things. If it's made for you, whether you're vertical, whether you're in a wheelchair, Mm -hmm. it's all the same to me. I mean, my software doesn't care. And that's been really validating. Mm, Your software cares about you, the person, the consumer. I like that. How did you deal with negative feedback early on? Were you prepared for it? If you experienced it, were you prepared for it? (laughs) And was it public, private or... Both. There's a lot of times where there is nothing but negative feedback. You need to really trust yourself Mm -hmm. and know thyself. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt when someone makes you a promise. It's going to hurt when someone calls you those names. Trolls are real on the internet and in the world. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, if you're too short and too fat, then maybe you should lose some weight and maybe you should wear some heels and go buy some clothes off the rack. There's a lot of that stuff out there. I have an, an amazing support system personally, Mm -hmm. professionally. And at the end of the day, I know I'm doing what's right. But it's a truth that I think we all suffer from. Mm -hmm. The negative stuff, you hear better than the positive stuff. You need 500 atta girls or atta boys Mm -hmm. to compensate for one, you're no good. Mm. The numbers are terrible. Try not to make it so, but yeah, it hurts. Yeah. So Create Your Life Family, what we also want to say is, is that, like Andrea said, definitely make sure that you are following your purpose and don't worry about what other people are saying, whether it's negative or positive. So Andrea, who are some of your heroes and sheroes? It's always hard to pick one because there's so many, but I love Oprah because she really struggled against a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I think... It's those stories of adversity and overcoming it as a poor black woman. She overcame a lot of things. Or someone like a Steve Jobs who was adopted. It's hearing those stories of adversity and then Mm -hmm. overcoming them or finding that confidence in yourself or creating a community to support you. Someone very close by Mm -hmm. has overcome a lot of adversity. And that's what I respect. It's the other people who are willing to let you in and tell you how hard they've had it too and they were able to overcome it. So I have lots and lots, and I suppose I don't want to use too many of the names, but I'm surrounded by people every single day who have encountered things, and they tell me personally. I think it's that ability to engage publicly, but Mm -hmm. also drop your truth. I do that. I'll tell people about my parents were incredibly young when they got married, Mm -hmm. and I was raised by a teenage mom and dad. My mother had an arranged marriage. She was 16 years old. My dad was 21 when they got married. And it was really tough growing up with a mom who didn't know how to behave. 
So we all have things that we've overcome. Right. And so I admire my mom and my dad. I admire some of my entrepreneurial people. I tend to know a lot of women or people of color. Okay. Absolutely love it. What would you say are some startup success hacks that everyone should know? All right. Well, I just gave you a bunch of them. I mean, I really should be charging for this, but the bracelets, make sure that if you're in that room, be heard. One of my big things I tell my friends, my colleagues, and my former clients, if you're going to a convention, don't sit beside someone you know. Don't waste the money. If you're going somewhere, talk to people you do not know. Other hacks, wherever you are, read everything. Never Mm -hmm. stop reading. Never stop learning. Okay. If you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing? Is there like some career or hobby or anything that you've always wanted to pursue? I always thought I was going to be an attorney years ago because that's just how my mind thinks. Mm -hmm. So if it all kind of went away at some point, I'd probably do some version of consulting, but there'd probably be some sort of legal component because I've been talking to my lawyer day and night, night and day, (laughs) my lawyers. And so just understanding how to be a little bit more confident, how to work a network and how to get ahead while still not losing your integrity. Okay. Was there ever any point that you felt like you were going to give up? When, why, and how did you push back to that point? (laughs) It's every single day. It's like, is this the day that I give up? No, I shouldn't say that. Because there's a bigger purpose for what I'm doing, it Mm -hmm. really helps me to continue. Mm -hmm. I believe that our team Mm-hmm. And it is a team. Every single person that's around us, that's part of Lab 141, whether it's every extended person who's even met us. I've had so many people believe in us. So it helps me to keep going. But I know that this is a problem. There are other people out there trying to solve it. The days of being ignored, the days of sized clothing, it's mm-hmm. coming to an end. Mm-hmm. On demand, made to measure, efficiency, transparency, yada, yada, all those words about fashion, the train has left the station. We're one of the solutions. But things are changing. And that makes me happy because as an outsider, I'm going to be an insider, whether it's my company and my solution or others. It's changing. Okay. And who's been your biggest champion on your path to becoming who you are today? My parents. Shout out to mom and dad. (laughs) My dad has Parkinson's and Lewy body dementia. And it's interesting. As he's changing physically, Mm -hmm. he's even more and more supportive and proud. He's always been proud. Mm -hmm. But seeing my mom be supportive of me and my dad. Just seeing love in Mm -hmm. all of its forms, whether it's new love or really old love. I've been seeing love Mm -hmm. a lot and tearing it apart. My entrepreneur friends, I love them. Mm -hmm. I love that they give to me. I love that they reach out. And then that love of my parents, it's changed over time. But to see my mom take care of my dad, I see that Philip does that for me personally and for our business. So I'm surrounded by love. And I think that's been the most transformative in this process. I love it. So what's the one thing that if someone came into your business, you would say, I need help with this right now, and they could come in and solve for you? I've been growing a team. So I don't think I have too many holes, but maybe helping me delegate. As a founder, one of the biggest challenges is delegating. So Mm -hmm. someone to help me get it out of my head onto paper and to others. That's one of the biggest challenges and probably one of the biggest opportunities. There's technology that's out there. There's all kinds of software. But really, I'm a people person. I like to automate certain things, but I'd love to have that executive assistant who really gets it. We've been lucky. There are a lot of evangelists who want to join us and help. Okay. Awesome sauce. So, Andrea, my next question to you is... Can you swim? Not only can I swim, I'm a scuba diver. I am two certificates away from an instructor's license. I'm a terrible swimmer, but I love it. Awesome. Well, I'm asking you that because we're about to jump into the dolphin tank. All right. Yes. Are you ready? Flippers up. Flippers up. All right. This is rapid fire. I will. I hope you're ready. Okay. I'll try to actually answer your questions and not deflect. 
What are your goal setting methods and how do you make sure that you're growing each year? I am trying to identify KPIs and using my software, Asana, as a tool to help me stay on track. Okay. What was holding you back from creating your best life? Fear. Fear of never launching was more of a a holding me back than fear of failure. And what was the biggest personal challenge that you feel like you had to overcome in order to become who you are today? This is going to sound so arrogant. I was identified as a gifted child when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And so not having to work very hard has been Mm -hmm. the hardest thing. I have never worked harder in my life than I have as an entrepreneur. And through my life, I was able to coast. And there is no coasting in entrepreneurship. Mm -mm. Getting out of my own way has been the biggest challenge. Okay. Love it. Top tech that you're using to make your business run smoothly. So many. Asana has been a really good project management tool. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to find a CRM, so I'm debating between Salesforce and HubSpot. So really exploring some tech tools that are out there to automate. But at the end of the day, it's my phone and calling people and putting every person I meet in my phone so I can reach out to them and text them if I have to. Okay. That's been my big tip. I have a CRM recommendation. I use Zoho, and I'm not paid to say that, but I use them, and so it's been really beneficial. You know, I switched those, from Salesforce to Zoho. This is the thing. Entrepreneurs sometimes, there are specific tools that we're all using, and everyone's like, oh, you have options. I'm like, no, I don't want options. Tell me what you use and works, right. and I'll just use it. It works for me. Good. It works for me, and we can discuss it more in depth, but I'd be happy to um, show you how All of those little automation tools and tips. Mm-hmm. Of course. Flippers up. Flippers up. Favorite quote or model that you live by? So I just told my best friend this yesterday. When I was five years old, I started with every day in every way I am becoming the woman I want to be. And that's okay. my mantra. That's my daily mantra. Did you make that up? I did. I like that a lot. I really do. Okay. <laughs> Favorite or most impactful book that you've read? The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. What is that? Talk about it. I've never heard <laughs> of this book. Because I am, at the end of the day, I'm a super tech nerd. And the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy It was from the 70s. It's this comedy sci-fi book. And I can't tell you how often I meet someone and I start dropping the Vogon poetry. Oh, Freddledy Gruntbugly. It's a shortcut to know the nerds in the room. And it's our way of winking at each other and going, I got you. (laughs) All right. I need to read that. (laughs) Three jewels that you would tell someone looking to create their best life. Believe in yourself. Mm -hmm. Your own advice to yourself is the best. Two, try to be humble. And three, never stop learning. Love it. So what's next for you? Next is, like I just talked about, raising money is a racket, but we are about to close our round, our first money in, which is a blessing and a curse. When you're a hardware startup, you need that money, but everybody makes you promises. So I'm very positive that we'll be able to do it. We have lots of leads, but until that money clears, it's not real. It's not real. How and when can we have some designs manufactured by Lab 141. So the audience out there, I need two things. I need everyone who's listening to start saying, I want this made for me. So Mm. we need consumers to be demanding of the designers that Mm. they are using our process. Mm -hmm. No sizes ever. So we need to be signing up those designers that want to make their styles available to anyone, everyone, Mm. male, female, in between. My software doesn't care. So we need designers who want to join who want to use our system. Mm -hmm. So all of you new designers or existing luxury designers, come to our site, sign up, and consumers, sign up on the site lab141.com so that when we're ready to really launch, we can send you an invite. Awesome. Love it. And what's the best way to stay in contact with you? With me? Well, you can follow us on Twitter at lab141nyc. 
you can follow us on our Facebook page. I don't really use it as much as I should, but we're Facebook, Twitter. You can connect with me personally on LinkedIn. And Instagram, it's our private brand. So secretly, it's Gita Manning is me. You're following me personally. And at lab141.com, sign up and you'll be the first to know when we launch and have secret launches. Okay. See, I'm excited about that. Andrea, I do want to ask you something. You recently went through an accelerator. How do you feel like the accelerator prepared you and helped you for what you are doing now? The accelerator I went through was SLP, Startup Leadership Program. There are so many accelerators out there, and it's probably not so well known, but it was extraordinary Mm -hmm. in terms of content, learning the details to play this game at the top level. The community was amazing. We had a lot of speakers, but the other people in that class, including yours truly, that was everything, is meeting other people, having that support system as an entrepreneur, knowing the questions to ask and having someone to turn to when you have a tech question or when you have a sadness question. This process is emotionally taxing. When you're sitting on the couch eating bonbons and ordering, you Mm -hmm. need to know that people get it. Empathy was from the accelerator. It was absolutely critical in moving forward. I actually laugh a lot because I say (laughs) I have hair that's changed colors and it skipped gray and went to white. (laughs) That's how long I've been on this journey and that's how it has affected me. So super funny. So Andrea, we have now reached a point in the interview called The Turnaround. And the turnaround is where you become the interviewer. I am the interviewee. So you are now in charge and you get to ask me questions. You don't look so excited because you, <laughs> you are smiling from ear to ear right now. I am. So I only have one request. Yes. Please be gentle. No. <laughs> I, I, knew, refuse. I knew you were. I knew no. you were. Okay. How in the world did you get to be as confident as you are? Oh, man. Ah, that's... I'm start big. Right, right, right. <laughs> By doing what I said that I was going to do over a period of time, and I think coming from my humble beginnings and making it to this point has helped me to be confident. I will also say that sometimes I have bouts with my confidence. I second-guess myself, and it's in those moments when I second-guess myself that things actually don't go as they could have or as they should. And so I was taking a lot of personal work and being honest with myself in order to move and stay in a confident state. But it becomes a part of you when you have that positive dialogue with yourself and you continue to say those things to yourself that empower you. We talked about statistics and they're so against you in succeeding. Mm-hmm. How in the world did you go from your humble beginnings, which I know are much mm-hmm. more than humble? Mm-hmm. What is that spark that made you not fall into that trap that so many people say, well, it's overwhelming? I think a lot of the things that you reflected on and you talked about in entrepreneurship, number one, I want to talk about the statistics. So for foster care children, I think 10% of us enroll in college, 3% graduate, and you cut that in half for minorities, and then you cut it in half again for minority males or black males, I'll say yeah. specifically for myself. Yeah. So we're looking at a point something, and it ain't near point one, point three, maybe point five percentage of success of people just graduated from college. That's not talking about going on and being extraordinary. I think some of my factors that helped me to become who I am today is the fact that I literally hated my life every single day growing up. And so it became a point where I had relationships with certain people and I was learning how to get them to enroll in me wanting to be successful. And really them seeing that I was willing to do whatever it took to get out of there. And I think a lot of times I go back to my humble beginnings, but even as an adult, what's helped me to continue to move forward is is that going backwards hasn't been an option. Like, I don't ever want to go back to 
or even raise a family in the same type of situation or circumstances that I was in. So therefore I have to keep moving forward. And I also think about legacy. So what I'm doing and who I am, unfortunately, I have to make all of the sacrifices that a lot of people's grandparents and parents made because I'm starting a new generation or a new outlook on what life can look like for my family and the generations to come. So there's a lot of sacrifice and a lot of things that I have to forego in order to make this a reality. That's a lot of responsibility. It's a lot of weight. It's funny because I didn't realize it until maybe earlier this year, but I was like, I've had the weight of the world on my shoulders since I was born. I came in the world with crack in my system when at nine months I was in foster care. And so like I was literally fighting and trying to figure things out since then. And I've never had time off. I've always had to be smarter than my peers. While my peers were yes. coming to school, getting suspended or hanging out and going to parties, I was in class or just kicking it. I was in class wondering if I was moving that day, if my social worker was coming up and giving me a call slip, go to the office and tell me that we got to throw all my clothes in a trash bag and I got to relocate. It's either going to break you or it's going to make you more. And I just hated the way that I grew up. And so I just became passionate about becoming more. And I had foster parents who were very negative and wanted to break me down. And so it became a competition where I said, hey, you know what? I'm not going to let you get the best of me. And so I just wanted to prove. At first it was to prove to them, and now it's to prove to myself. Now it's, you it's just even bigger said than that. You have to work harder. How does that make you feel? I don't even know if there's a feeling attached to it as much as it's like this is the burden that it was given. You see people complain about stuff, and you're kind of like, man. Shut up. Right. <laughs> but at the same time, I have learned to respect other people's struggles. So I know what it's like to be alone in the world and to build myself up. I don't know how I would react if I had parents at home who supported me, et cetera, et cetera, right? Or if there was a situation where parents got divorced. So it's tough to say that, you know, somebody else has it easier because you don't know what their struggles are. And I think that it's very important to be cognizant of that and to be responsible in that regard. But if we're talking about complaining because you dropped your ice cream or something like that, it's <laughs> kind of like, you know, there's bigger things going on in the world. But we all get caught up in small things that may not be right. as important as we might see them in that moment. I'm just going to keep asking you questions until you stop me. Okay. Tell me about the first time someone believed in you. Okay, so there's one point. I grew up in this Continentals of Omega Boys and Girls Club in Vallejo, California. And I've told the story a couple of times. I was a really <laughs> mischievous kid. And so I was going to get kicked out of this club. And the founder, Mr. Graham, Fillmore Graham, amazing man, amazing. And I was about to get kicked out. They had me in the office. And he came in and he said, you Kevin Brown? I was like, yeah. And he was like, let me talk to you for a second. So he takes me in his office and he says, I hear that you're very intelligent, but you don't know how to behave. And I'm like, so? <laughs> right? I'm like nine years old. I really didn't care about anything. And he says, I'm going to challenge you. He was like, you see this basketball over here in these cards? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, if you answer this question right, then you can win that. He said, but the only way that this is going to work is if you go out and you behave for the rest of the day. I'm like, all right, what's the question? I'm going to win this. And so he says, what weighs more, a pound of bricks or a pound of feathers? I look at him and I say, a pound of bricks. Uh -huh. He waits for a moment and he says, well, how is that if they're both a pound? And I stood there astonished. I couldn't believe that I got this wrong because I had this big thing, this chip on my shoulder where like, you know, I was down to misbehave as much as possible, but I never wanted anybody to call me stupid. Ah. Right. And so he said to me, now you have to hold up your end of the bargain. And I was like, no, nah, you got to give me another question. You got to give me another question. He said, no. He was like, if you behave tomorrow, then we could do it again. And so from that moment on, I left out of there puzzled because I could not believe that I got that wrong. But every day I used to get out of school 
I used to run and I used to go looking for him because I wanted to answer a question right because I wanted to get prizes, right? It's not like I'm getting gifts in the foster home. So it was so cool. But what he was teaching me was that my behavior needed to match as intelligent as I was. And so over time, at first it was prizes. Then he taught me that the gift is myself being able to behave in different environments and things like that. And he mentored me all the way up until he passed. And he was at my college graduation, my high school graduation, like everything. Like Graham was such a dynamic man. And anybody from the city of Vallejo knows who Graham is. And he's more than likely touched their lives, especially the young boys. But he was one of the first people to believe in me. And I would also have to say my foster mom, Mary Jackson, she's passed as well. But she came and got my sister and I from this shelter. We were like the last two kids there. And she came and got us from there in San Francisco and took us to Vallejo. So she definitely believed in us. So the funny part is, is that I never used to talk to people. We sat in a room and talked to her, but my sister did all the talking. I only talked to my sister when I was younger until I was like five. That is hard to believe considering <laughs> how you haven't stopped talking since. <laughs> right. That's proof, though. You evolve and you get to do some amazing things and we grow. I look forward to seeing your impact because I know that you are already influencing other people. Sometimes we don't know how people feel about us until it's too late. But I know that there are so many people who look up to you, Kevin. So Thank bravo. You. Thank you so much. And Andrea, thank you for being on the show. Yay. Flippers down. Flippers down. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Create Your Life family, I want to thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes and Stitcher Radio and rate and review us. This helps us build this community and building the community is what we are all about right now so that we can deliver as much value as possible to you. So until next time, create your life and feed your ambition. Create your life. 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 You better create your life. <laughs> create your life. Create your life. Create your life. Create your life.